But to your point, when your mother first was here... We're having a mind melt. When I brought my mother up to interview and go look at that rest home, could I twist her arm and make her go? For sure. But did that feel good? Not so much. Did I want it to be sort of a shared decision? Yes. And therefore, I manipulated her by bringing her to Howard's house. (laughs) Well, I don't think you manipulated her. She was pretty straightforward when she was talking to me. And she said, well, you know how Rachel is. Um, (laughs) She likes to manage everything. But the truth of the matter is, I'm not capable of it. So, you want to play, Grandma? You want to play that part from Measure 9? Yep. Hello, fellow shit sisters and siblings. Irreverent Rachel here. Today, I'm interviewing my dear friend, neighbor, and elder care consultant, Howard, who will provide hot tips on the start, middle, and end of the elder care adventure. We talk about the creative problem solving of excellent elder care experts, how to build the best support system for your needs, and we even offer a bonus holiday podcast as my season one finale. Before I introduce you to my friend and neighbor, Howard, let me just recap why this monthly podcast exists. After accumulating 10 years and counting of elder care intel, I decided to create my irreverent empire of insights, anecdotes, and audio all found on my website, thisisgettingold.com, just add some dashes, in order to support the undertakings of you, my fellow shit sisters and siblings. The purpose of my monthly podcast is to provide empathy and education about the start, middle, and end of the elder care trenches. And to remind each other why we're all gathered here together, I start each episode with a grandma cameo. Dog, for real? Do you have to be in here now? (laughs) Don't lick the microphone. All right, mother. We haven't done a recording in a while. What did you think of our holiday season dinner out? Dinner out? Dinner out! When are you going to wear your hearing aids? I hear you, but I won't be Dinner out. We just went out for dinner during the holiday season. We certainly did, and How I certainly was it? enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I love those dinners out. <laughs> what did you get? I got steak frites. Do you ever get anything different? Nothing except a dessert. Do I ever get anything different? No. <laughs> Where do you think I got that from? Ah, mm. did you inherit that? Probably. All right, but I think you may have. That may be a good thing and it may not. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what do you want for Christmas, Mother? Well, you can't tell me what you want do for Christmas. I already told you what I want You want to go on a vacation. I just want it to feel like a vacation. I don't want any stress. I don't want any fights. I don't want any to-dos. I want to be relaxed. Mm -hmm. Relaxed vacation. I'm going to talk to your elder care buddy, Howard, tomorrow. What do you want to say to Howard? Oh, tell Howard things are going fine. And if Howard and I are going to do a podcast, 
about all the things that adult children caregivers should be aware of when dealing with their elders, what do you think Howard and I should talk about? Talk about? Mm-hmm. To deal with difficult elders like you. <laughs> I'm not a difficult <laughs> To deal with difficult elder situations like yours. How many thousands of specialists do you have now, Mother? I know. That is difficult. That's mm -hmm. annoying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can't believe I have that many. Yep. But it seems to be part of the scene. When you're sitting at a table here and you're hearing one talk about where they have to go to see this doctor and that one has to go to see that doctor and this one, you know. Mm -hmm. It becomes life. <laughs> Do you want to tell everybody about your middle school cafeteria dramas about who sits at what table? Yeah, <laughs> that I think will go on for a while. Every time somebody new moves into the rest home? You have to renegotiate your social <laughs> status. That was mentioned at our residence meeting yesterday. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the woman who was head of things, she said, so you got to wait a little longer for your table. Or your Say 15, 20 minutes. You can stand it. <laughs> you guys might drop dead in that amount yeah. of time. <laughs> old. She's not giving any sympathy. <laughs> What's your advice to all of us, Mother? How long should we live? 87 seems like a little too long. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. You could, you could pick any age. What age would you yeah, have picked? right. No, it's a question, Mother. If you could have picked any age, what age would you have picked to go? To go? Mm-hmm. Hmm, I could have picked. Well, I don't know. 80 would be good. 80. Yeah. Seems like a good age. Any words of wisdom before you talk to people in the new year? <laughs> yeah, keep doing something. <laughs> keep contact with the important people. Mm -hmm. Your family, your friends. Those are all the important things. And before you know it, they won't be there, or you won't be there. <laughs> Take naps. Watch the Hallmark the Channel. That's right. Watch the Hallmark Channel. <laughs> Eat creme brulee. Uh huh. And watch the six, six hours to of eleven o'clock news. news. Yeah. <laughs> MSNBC. You gotta do that too. All right. Because then you're not up on things. Because right? <laughs> it takes who... four hours of cable TV news to stay <laughs> up on things. And you're going to get kicked out because you don't know your... Well, you you got to solve the 1-6, whatever. What are you talking about? No, it isn't. I'm just kidding. You're talking conspiracy theories? That that's just part of the scene. <laughs> some people worry about it and some people don't give a damn. You know? All right, Grandma's gone off the wall. All right, Grandma, say Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. <laughs> And now it's time to return to our regularly scheduled broadcasting. 
today I am here with my good buddy Howard, who I have written about, talked about, referenced. He is a dear neighbor, dear friend. We fell into a fast friendship when we were, I think, walking our dogs, probably Howard. I'm sure that the way we talked to each other, one sentence in, the F-bomb came out of our mouth and <laughs> we were off I'm to sure. the races. <laughs> Howard, you have consulted with me personally on my own elder situations as small as hey my mom now is frail enough she needs a walker do you have a good recommendation and then as large as hey I gotta move my mom from Virginia to Boston can you help me find a place that works and Howard found Shangri-La and the reason that Howard knows so much and has so many great stories you're about to hear and is so patient and hilarious is because for how many years, Howard, you have been an elder care consultant? Uh, probably 30. 30. And I know there's so many people that hang out their shingles and call themselves all sorts of stuff. So did I get that right, elder? You prefer? Well, you can call me whatever you'd like. <laughs> because the truth be known, I have no training in this. Yeah. I think this is worth talking about. Mm-hmm. There's a National Association of Geriatric Care Managers. Mm-hmm. Just like with any other certification or credential, that doesn't guarantee quality. It guarantees that you have a certain knowledge base, but, and I'm not trying to bash that industry or any other one, mm-hmm. but all my training is in music. All my degrees are in music. You've got a grand piano, right? Sitting yes, behind us? Yes. Case in point. I started out a musicologist and a pianist and for varieties of reasons. I started volunteering in the Alzheimer's Association and I realized quickly not how screwed up they are, but how screwed up everything else is around Alzheimer's and elder care. And people started asking me questions and I started answering them and then someone said, you should do this as a career. And what did they experience about how you were answering the questions or your approach that made them say you would be good for people struggling with these pieces? I think it wasn't so much that my knowledge base was so vast, but I tried to factor in everything humanly possible. Just because someone has a certain disease doesn't mean they're like everyone else with the same disease. Mm. And it's idiotic to think that someone, especially a disease that primarily affects older people like Alzheimer's, Everyone has a past, Mm -hmm. and your past informs the present. So there's people that'll say, everybody with Alzheimer's disease should do bleh. Well, yes, if everyone with Alzheimer's disease had the same life before, yeah, that Mm -hmm. would be true. Mm -hmm. So how one has lived one's life affects how one wants to continue. There are some people who maybe sit around and didn't do anything all of their lives, so their brain was never stimulated, and they may have been colossal bores so (laughs) they stay colossal bores without a good memory or with a very bad memory and someone who is for me interesting Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean for everybody and intellectually active or did a lot I'm not talking about accomplishments in the conventional sense had an inner life of a certain nature oh I like that Uh, they're going to approach the end of their life differently and the same thing with any disease there are some people who when diagnosed with terminal cancer, will say, I don't want to go through all that hell. And there are some people who will. Mm -hmm. I have a very close friend who's a nurse practitioner who has multiple myeloma. She went so far as to have a stem cell transplant, but she said, that's it. I'm not doing anymore. Wow. Now, she's not dead. It's been a few years. And she's gone to the most prominent oncologist in the world. Hi, Julia. This was pre-COVID. And she said, there's only one who happens to be in New York, 
where she does not live, who she feels, thinks about things as if he were, in fact, her. So she doesn't even go to doctors where she lives anymore. She calls this guy and says, I'm experiencing X, Y, Z. And he says, well, I think you should do this and not that. And she doesn't listen to every word he says, but she generally follows his advice because he's thinking about her Her, as a human being. Yeah. Not as a person with multiple myeloma. Going full circle to where you started, nobody is a generic patient. Nobody has a generic disease. Correct. They are a human being first who has a story, preferences, Mm -hmm. interests, personality. There's three things I want to pick up on. One is that we have the very handsome Julian. He's part lab, part Bassett or something? Part lab, part Corgi, part Bassett. Part Corgi. So he's got a lab head, he's got Bassett feet, and he's got a long Corgi body. And he's super cute. So we're going to have some Julian doggy noises. And then I also, I love... And I, I think you're making me realize why my mom actually is thriving in her own way. I love your inner life point. My mother, when I go out to dinner with her, the amount of time she assesses people by, like, they're very intelligent. She's very quick. She's very... And that's what she's saying. At this rest home she's in now, which is people who are fairly independent. They have morning, noon, and night pills and oversight, et cetera, et cetera. But she, and I can tell others there, really assess each other based on do they have interests? Do they have mm-hmm. opinions? Do, it doesn't matter if they were a crazy accomplished Boston Symphony Orchestra musician, which, by the way, many of them were. She herself is a musician like you, which is why you to get along swimmingly. At this stage of life, nobody's hanging out their plaques or saying, I was the CEO or CEO of that. Can they carry on an interesting conversation with Mm -hmm. each other? Do they have opinions about the world and daily life? I think that is huge what you expressed. And then the last piece is, I think COVID really loosened up our access to things because now everything can be done on Zoom. In fact, my mom's specialist, I just pushed him to say like, I don't wanna come in here every month with COVID kicking in again. He's like, yeah, good point. We'll just manage it through email and through the nurse practitioner at the rest home and uh, assess it by phone. I was like, great. So the fact that your person self-advocated and found somebody who wasn't in the same geography but could treat her like a human in the context of her situation is huge. So how would you tell adult children of elders to work on behalf of their elder situation to gain the same types of experiences? Well, I think in many ways, one has to think about oneself first Mm. and think about what would I want? That's a good point. And then think about, well, I'm 40 now, but then I'll be 50, then I'll be 60, then I'll be 70, then I'll be 80. Yeah, things will change, but your personality doesn't change, Mm -hmm. usually. Your fundamental values... It's more extreme, right? Yeah, right. (laughs) Maybe the bad gets worse and the better gets better, Mm -hmm. or the good gets better, but... Generally, people who have a certain outlook on life don't change that much. Mm -hmm. So to just say that, well, here's a, my mother's 80, so I have to start thinking about her this way. No, you've known your mother since however old you are, and probably not that much has changed except her health is compromised. Mm, Interesting. Uh, So even if you didn't have conversations with your mother per se about what would you like to do if you had this or what, you, you know, how did she live her life? Clients, too, whether I'm doing it for someone I know very well or whether it's someone I've just met. I've also found I can't work very well with people I don't like. 
Mm. Um, you're you're saying in that context, you as the elder care consultant correct. can't work very well with probably the adult child or the elder or both. Both. Okay. If I find that our values don't match up and we don't have any common interests and there's really nothing to talk about, I don't feel I can be very helpful to someone who I have nothing to talk about except their symptoms. Mm. Okay, that's really well said. It's boring for me and it's boring for them right. to have some arrogant idiot me walk in <laughs> and say, uh, tell me, uh, what's your blood pressure? What's this? What's that? It's deadly. Mm. And I think when I'm arranging care for people, if the caregivers are not interesting and interested, it doesn't work either. Mm. Say more. I'm not talking about just hygiene. If someone needs a shower, to be showered or assistance being showered three times a week, you don't need someone that would be your best friend mm. um, to do that. Although it helps if it's someone you can have a conversation with right. that's enjoyable because no one wants to talk about showering. I right. mean, that's one discreet task. But if you, someone needs care eight hours a day, it's boring for the caregiver as well as mm. the patient. Mm -hmm. Here's an example. I have a very close friend in Manhattan who's a genius who's interested in almost everything. She's not demented, she's physically impaired. She has a caregiver who is with her, not the same person, but someone is with her every day from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Mm -hmm. Of course, most of these people are not geniuses in the way she is, but her complaint is always to me, they're nice, they're sweet, they're responsible, but they're boring. <laughs> I have nothing to say to them. Mm. And these are people that are in her house maybe Correct. all day. Okay. In her condo, yeah. which so, is not that big. And so let's parse this a little bit because caregivers could mean the adult child in the yes. sense of organizing things. And then there's paid caregivers, which many adult child caregivers end up using some spectrum of choices. In my case, it was because I was remote from my parents. So in my experience, uh, unless you're able to not have to work, not raise your child, not have a life, and you become the full-time caregiver, mm -hmm. generally speaking, you are educating yourself about all of these choices. So your point is any stranger with a specialty who's going to support the elder, it would be great if they're not just good at their specialty, that they can Correct. actually have some sort of rapport and relationship. Correct. And in this particular case, this is not unique, but it's unusual uh, because she lives in a condo that's not huge, but big enough. She's a musician who still play, play, can still play the piano and does every day for three or four hours. Oh my God, my um, mother never did that. Well, <laughs> Susan always did and always will. Wow. And the people who come in to help her with physical tasks, because that's all she needs help with. Susan never watched television in her life. So these people, she feels they have a right to watch television. They don't want to listen to her practice the piano. Yeah. So they go into another room and watch television, blaring loud. And then she's in a position where she has to say, would you please turn the volume down because it's interrupting me and she feels horrible about it. Oh, wow. So she's gotten them headphones, which sometimes they remember to use, sometimes they don't. And she's a very polite person and always has been. Outlandish, but polite. So, um, <laughs> Like you. Yeah, like me. <laughs> so um, I know this happens every day. Please wear headphones. 
and please have the screen not facing me. Yeah, it makes me cringe. I love your other point about project yourself into being an elder someday. I, I am an auditory person. I can't can't have somebody talking loudly and loud music. I just can't handle too much anima. So if it's my own home, if I'm an elder and I have very few things that I have left to do other than sit in my home and play my piano and maybe have some quiet, and because of the support I need, now I don't get to have any of that. And I get to spend my day cringing and feeling guilty because I'm asking the person who's supposed to be helping me to manage themselves differently. Like, that is my definition of hell. Right, <laughs> right. The saddest part, especially with my dad, the demoralizing inability to choose to live the simplest things the way you used to do and want to do when he had to rely on the people who came into the house. His bedtime and his awake time mm. and his meals were dictated by their schedule. His life was not his own. He couldn't drink the coffee when he wanted to or have a snack when he wanted to. Right? Uh, but here's a question. Would you want to be alive if you were at the mercy of that sort of schedule? No, that's my point. Like, that's not a good existence. No, I think yeah. death, death is preferable. Ringing around my head this whole time you're talking about this, of course, is the shared elder care neighbor experience that we all witnessed you helping with which was our neighbor john mm -hmm. and the end of the story is amazing could you work backwards from john's ending and the very fact that his caregiver who became a dear friend to him mm -hmm. is the one who ultimately found him he had died alone at home but not tragically and can you back us out of that happy ending into what it took to get that situation to happen and to work. Okay, that's a really good example because he's someone who probably under normal circumstances, I would not have even, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't have gotten to know well enough to know that I liked him. Exactly, because Be he he, he came in my head because he fits your description of like, you two have nothing in common. You right. wouldn't necessarily like each other because he didn't like anybody. He didn't let himself like anybody. Correct. And his presentation, of himself was inaccurate. Mm -hmm. He wasn't antisocial, but he lived alone in a house that was a disaster. That, that he grew been, up in. That he grew up he... in. Nothing had been thrown away since probably 1940, <laughs> or cleaned, or dusted. He and I, in my opinion, he would never admit this, but I know it's true, were dear, dear friends because he was so much like my father, and I could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with him, meaning deciding they had to present themselves in a way that we knew they weren't. So mm. I could push back on him because I'm like, give me a break. Unzip the asshole suit and let me see the real you because I know you're in there. And because he was a neighbor and there were a lot of people I cared about who cared about him, I sort of got to know him. And the more I spent time with him, the more I realized this was just a facade. Mm -hmm. He was basically a kind-hearted person who was very thoughtful and generous very, and smart and very smart and not a racist because the woman who ended up being his full-time caregiver was a woman of color who adored him mm -hmm. and who he adored too mm -hmm. he would never say it out loud <laughs> <laughs> to anybody he loved right it didn't matter what color your skin right. was <laughs> she knew it mm -hmm. and she was so devastated by his not by finding him dead but by his death by the loss, the loss. of him yep. that she didn't work again. Still hasn't, as far as I know. Really? I didn't uh, know that. Now, that's a good example of someone who, on the face of things, we had nothing in common. And so from that point, nothing in common to it worked out so spectacularly that she's still mourning him. 
I witnessed the daily struggle to get him to accept any help, mm. A, like he almost died. He was up in the hospital. He was on IVs. You basically had an intervention. He had no no spouse, no kids. So again, it was very familiar to me because I had parent figures. There's a gentleman in the neighborhood who was basically like a son to him because John and that guy's uh, dad were best friends. Mm-hmm. So I watched poor Jason struggling with having to manage this situation from afar. He's got a heavy-duty civic job. And so... Lest people think, oh, that's just one of those happy endings that worked out so easily. Talk about what it took to get John from the point where he was in the hospital refusing to let anybody do anything for him, all the way to you creating a rapport, working on behalf of Jason and helping this situation get set up. Well, it took a lot. First of all, because I realized that his facade was a facade. And I was persistent, and I would walk my dog in front of his house multiple times a day, <laughs> and he had a dog too. So strategic. If that wasn't intentional. I would have walked my dog in front of his house <laughs> even if he hadn't lived there. But we could strike up a conversation, and he was anything but boring. And I think what let him let me do things was the fact that he knew on some level, well, that I cared about him. Mm-hmm. And you did, and other people did too. And although he would never admit it, he was touched. So all those little things... Gave him away. Gave him away. <laughs> yeah. And once he was in the hospital, he almost died. When I visited him, he was desperate. Mm. He didn't want to die. That's he, the first no, step, right? That was the first step. If you step. don't want to die. He saw that being as stubborn as he had been eating all the wrong foods, not taking his meds, not being compliant with anything. Didn't get him very far. Mm. And he was very smart. And he realized that no one was trying to harm him. We were trying to help him. Right. Yeah, he argued and he gave me a hard time about everything, but he complied. Do you know what he did the day day before he died? Mm, No. He came here. Really? And he rarely did that. Yep. And I remember that morning, the morning... I mean, in the truck, I'm sure. He didn't walk here. He drove. No, he of course drove. he drove. And he had lucky <laughs> dog in the truck. It was a hot day. Bang, bang, bang on the door. It's John. So I said, come on, I can't come in. Lucky's in the truck. It's too hot. Look what I found. He found pictures of what was on the land that m- my house is on. No way. Um, in one of his piles. And he said, look at this. This is what was here in 1940 before your house was built. He was awesome like that. Yeah. We have pictures like that of our house from his vantage point. So that was incredibly thoughtful Mm -hmm. and kind. Uh, And then, of course, John being John, you know, I said, well, you can bring Lucky in the house. No, 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 no. He's waiting. (laughs) On his terms. Yes, on his. Well, it was on his terms. Meanwhile, he came here. The mountain came to Mohammed. Yes. And that was the last time I saw him. And then he died the next morning. That's a nice moment. I don't know that you want to, maybe you have experience with well-fitting bras, but... Yes, I do. <laughs> um, I'll tell you a funny bra story, but it's not just well-fitting bras, it's well-fully clothes. So, so I'll set the context that my mother, all her life, this has been a problem, but particularly now, I cannot for the life of me find a bra that makes her happy because she likes the old school clasp, mm-hmm. which someday her little fingers are not going to be able to do, so I'm trying to like move her away from that. And she likes the little lacy bits, and she likes she calls it the cup, when all she means is just it's shaped like a bra. It's not like a tank toppy thing, right? Uh, but she, like me, so when I had the kid and now the stupid middle-aged menopause spread, 
our ribs are super wide, mm-hmm. but we're, well, I used to be, but mom's crazy flat chested, right? And no manufacturer makes something that's super wide around the ribs for a small breasted woman. So this is my that's goddamn not true. I, oh, tell me. Tell me your ways, Howard. All right. Well, I don't know the precise answer, but I can tell you an answer. Mm-hmm. This is just one place that I know of. There's a store in Brookline, Lady Grace. Really? Still now? I think. To this day? Yes. Right. Um, and I don't know if this woman still works there, but there's an older Russian woman who doesn't measure anything. Oh. Any woman can walk in and go into a dressing room and take off her blouse. The woman looks at her and fits her. To just, a tee. Just pulls out a bra out of their stock and it fits perfectly. So I should now, here's room. a good story about this. Right. I had a client who had the biggest boobs I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and that's seen she, a lot. Well, you know, for a gay she, guy, you probably didn't see that many, right? Well, I'm talking about clothes. <laughs> she was taller lying down than she was standing up. <laughs> so I thought, all right, I'm, I'm stumping this woman. So I brought in to Lady Grace, waited for the sales lady. Mm-hmm. And I said, she needs to be fitted for a bra. She says, okay. <laughs> so they walk into the back. I'm standing in the front, and I hear the sales lady scream. Oh, dear God. So I thought, oh, what's going on? So she comes out to me, and she says, I have never seen anything this big in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so she said, I have to custom order something. Wow. I don't know where she got it. All I know is she bought five bras Aww. that fit her. And we're comfortable. Howard, there is nothing <laughs> you can't. <laughs> no, I couldn't do that myself. Yeah, but you. But see, this is, and I, I'm goofing, but I mean it sincerely. Like a good, a good anything, but especially good elder care consultant. I feel like this. I've got a little bit of this in me. You pose a problem to me, and and it's my favorite thing to have happen because there's nothing I like more than cleaning up messes and solving problems. Challenge me all day long, and I will figure out. Right. How to get the bra for the woman that has the boobs that are so big it makes somebody scream. Like that to me is a fun And I think that that, that's, I think you just hit on really the the kernel of the issue. Liking to problem solve. Yes. And And creatively problem solve, right? Yes, in very unconventional ways. I, I feel like the power combo is an elder care consultant like you slash an elder care lawyer. And sometimes they can kind of be interchangeable. The elder care lawyer that helped my parents was as invested as you are, would come to the house to visit them, mm-hmm. was emotionally attached. We needed her because of their specific circumstances. They didn't have money, so we were really tolling the line on Medicare, Medicaid, right? All the laws in place for the specific state, etc. So could you just rattle off that combination, what exactly are you doing for elders? Like, so you've, instance, now you've said you, you might be taking them to appointments. You might be making sure they're safe. You might be visiting them. You might be advocating for them with doctors. What sorts of things can people expect a specialist like you would do? Well, I only know one other person who operates in this profession the way I do. Okay. It doesn't mean we're better or worse, we're just different. Most people will not get as involved in someone's life mm-hmm. as I do. And ironically, the other person is the woman who's dying of multiple myeloma. Mm-hmm. But we both feel strongly that unless we genuinely care about the person, sure, we can be helpful, but you can, a website can be helpful too. 
Some people need interpersonal interactions to make them be effective. I mean, that's for the client and mm. for me. Right. Some people don't need that so badly. If you don't need it so badly, then you know there are lots of resources on the web. There are lots of resources by just calling people. There's elder care lawyers. Most will not get as involved as I did, but some will. And some will get, even if it's not as involved as I am, halfway. And state, there's state services. So to your point, if people don't have the means to pay privately for somebody like you or even an elder care lawyer, what I get the most frustrated about, if that's the right word, is how many services exist and people don't realize that they do So at the state level, at the community level, at the civic level. And mom, who doesn't generally pay a whit of attention to what I do or how I do it, I think she just feels lightly guilty all the time, knowing that I'm sort of paying for things and supporting things. Mm -hmm. But she looked down at the wheelchair that we used to whip around sometimes, and she said, oh, you know, are you renting this? How much did this cost? I'm like, mom, it's free. All of this is free. And then bizarrely, then they can't donate it, which I drives me nuts. Yeah, it's crazy. You know well, and I talk a lot on my, my podcast and on my site, that my parents' situation was the most extreme, and the first thing that I had to learn was I don't need to bankrupt myself on their behalf. So could you, you know, there's ways to protect me, there's ways to protect them, there's services to tap into. At the end of his life, my dad was in a Medicaid day community program. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about that on the spectrum of choices. There's a million services out there and places you can call and things you can shell out money to pay for. How about the other end of the spectrum? What should people be aware of so that they don't over invest themselves, especially in a crisis moment? Okay, that's a good question. It varies state by state and community by community, but most communities, towns, cities, have things in Massachusetts, they're called Council on Aging's, mm -hmm. in other states they're called other things, but they're free, which is usually a good starting point. Mm -hmm. um, they'll have lists of different kinds of resources. Generally, they have at least one social worker sort of person who you can talk to. Mm -hmm. If your income is low enough, you're probably eligible for Medicaid. Arduous process sometimes, or can be, but it's worth it because everything is paid for. Medicare. And, and to the arduous process part, that was precisely why we started using an elder care lawyer. Mm -hmm. Best money we ever spent. Right. Because she did all the paperwork, which I never would have known how to negotiate no to ensure that my parents were eligible. And they make it very difficult when I had to do that for my father, I hired an elder care lawyer. And I remember having to go to a hearing at the Medicaid office where they were being absolutely ridiculous. Mm. And I was opening up my big mouth and he kicked me under the table and told me to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, this is your father? No, the lawyer. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Because he was right after he said to me, you're not going to win this fight. Interesting. She's got the power you don't. And who is the she in this situation? The, person, the Medicaid representative. Oh, who was I got just uh, a bureaucrat yeah. without any imagination whatsoever. Mm. It wasn't that unusual a circumstance, mm -hmm. but she was being a stickler about some stupid thing that, that didn't exist. Got it. You, know, you didn't provide me with this piece got of paper. It, got well, it, got there it, got was it. no such piece of paper. Yeah. But you're beholden to them in the process, to Correct. your point. Yeah. So me being me, you know. <laughs> I didn't say these words, but the thought bubble above my head was, you stupid idiot, I can't produce something that doesn't exist. And I'm sure what I said wasn't quite that nasty, but conveyed that. 
So yeah. you and I are both, I think, incapable of hiding right. how we feel. <laughs> so the lawyer, who I happens to be a friend, kicked me under the table and said, I'm sorry, Mrs. Blah Blah. Um, Howard and I will work on getting this form to you, which of course we didn't. <laughs> but she That's felt, why he's a good lawyer. <laughs> right. She felt the lawyer's on her side. Yes. Wow. Um, That's so, funny. you know, we all need help. So, Howard, could you define what the very start is when you would consider needing people like this? I think some people think it's premature and then they find themselves in crisis mode. So describe from your point of view when people would want to be thinking about pulling together expert resources to help with their elder care moment. Okay. I think it's never too early, first of all. And I think the most important thing is a human connection. So even if your parent, whoever you're worried about. Which is, is a good point. It doesn't have to be a parent. I myself had parent figures in my life that I had to care for. And we've talked about our neighbor, John, who had a, a son figure in his life. So oftentimes we find ourselves caretaking elders who are not mm -hmm. bio family. Right. And once you've identified a person or people who you think might be able to help you, having a preliminary conversation with them for free, and if they won't do it for free, you don't want them, mm -hmm. what your issues might be or could be or fear might become, it's never too soon. Right. If they're over 65 and you're noticing any little amount of disability, it's never too soon to discuss it with someone. And how would you define disability in that sense? What sort of things would people watch for? Of significant memory loss, suddenly horrible driving, or worse driving than normal. I mean, if someone's an awful driver all along, they're like, not going to get better. You know, when my mom sideswiped the entire length of a city bus, like right, that that's a that's a good trigger. <laughs> <laughs> or you notice a, sta mm -hmm. a status change. They used to be able to do this, and now they can't. Or they used to do this all the time, every day. Every day, I'd see my next door neighbor going outside, filling her bird feeder, and all of a sudden, she's not. Mm -hmm. um, now, it could just mean that she decided she doesn't want to feed the birds anymore, <laughs> but that's rarely the case. Usually, a dramatic change means something's awry. And I, I want to dig into that really quickly. Multiple people in this close-knit neighborhood have talked about other elders on the street that I live on that people have looked at for over time. Mm -hmm. And I have a dear friend who was very close to a, a gentleman, and she tripped a little bit over that fine line between wanting to look out for somebody, really caring, watching for those bird feeder moments, mm -hmm. and then finding out that there is family in the background, in the distance, pulling the puppet strings on things like this. So how would you have neighbors negotiate moments like that, be both watchful and toe the line with the family involvement? Well, first of all, because of the way, especially during COVID, people don't visit as often as they used to, mm -hmm. or maybe they've never visited it anyway. That doesn't mean there's no closeness, but uh, I think talking about it never hurts. I'm not talking about taking action. I'm just talking about discussing it. Discussing it with whom? Well, if you find an elder care kind of person like me, mm -hmm. who you like and you think is reasonable, having a preliminary conversation, and I can't stress enough for free, <laughs> about my next door neighbor, my great aunt, whoever, whoever it happens it to be, saying, you know, I've noticed these things, and uh, I just like to talk about it. And, and by the same extension, would you agree that there's generally state and community county services who could be also a first step in that way? Usually. Right. 
but they're usually going to want to do action steps, gotcha. which, which you may not need. Although the reports are anonymous, you could get someone's hackles up mm-hmm. who's perfectly fine. Right. Um, you need to know the person well enough to know, will they be touched? Right. Has someone cared enough to, to call? Right. Or would they be annoyed that you're trying to mess with their life? Right. And their independence. Um, but I think it can't hurt to have a preliminary conversation even without using a name. Okay. And just to get a sense of what this, for lack of a better word, consultant mm-hmm. could, ha- could help you with. Now, that doesn't mean you have to do anything for two years. Mm-hmm. That's and, a good point. And someone who's reasonable about it will talk and say, well, as things evolve, call me. Exactly. I was going to finish the sentence for you because that's basically what the elder care lawyer, not that I didn't know of services like yours, Howard, but the elder care lawyer piece is the most formally overt resource out there, A. And in our particular situation, because it was so Medicaid heavy, I knew mm-hmm. that's what I needed. But that was her affect entirely. She was no nonsense, all business, and crazy pragmatic. So she'd be like, you don't need me now. Here's what you need to know now. Here's what you need to do now. And then call me in a year. <laughs> that's the best case scenario with a lawyer. But then there's the other extreme <laughs> where, well, you need me right now, even though you don't. Right. And ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. Exactly. And, oh, you need this. Do you have this document? Do you have that document? Now, everyone needs all those documents, but they don't necessarily need them today. Exactly. So usually an elder lawyer in their professional capacity is not the first person to talk to. However, if they're a friend or a neighbor or you have a social relationship with them, Mm -hmm. they could be. So back us into best case scenario. If they start with somebody like you. Mm -hmm. Or like you. Or like me, creative problem solvers. How do people not have sticker shot? So not necessarily what you charge, because I know, Howard, you're functionally retired, but in any given market, would people be paying hourly? How much should they expect to pay? Is it a contract? What does that look like? It depends who it is, who okay. you're dealing with. I mean, I am a firm believer in no hourly rates and no contracts. Mm, okay. But most people are not like me. Mm-hmm. I mean... If you're trying to structure it like a real business, mm-hmm. you know, you have to set some boundaries. I usually don't. You have no boundaries. Right, that's right. I have no boundaries. <laughs> that much we know. Which is why I'm the basket case that I <laughs> Generally, the first conversation should be free, no matter mm-hmm. what. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes if the first conversation involves a visit, the person coming to see you or coming to see the elder, yes, they'll charge. Okay. And a lot of times... They'll say, well, I need to do an official assessment for $500 or $1,000. Most of the time, not all of the time, they write an assessment that's a boilerplate. They Mm. charge you a lot of money for it, and you come back with a document that tells you things you already know. And what is a lot of money? What should people know is too much for a moment like that? Oh, I think anything over $100. Wow, okay. Someone who's doing an assessment and they come with an assessment tool right. and, and fill it out in front of you, you don't want Run away. It. Run away. <laughs> Tell them to go. Take the tool and run. So there are websites out there speaking the same sentiments you are, saying don't get taken for a ride and mm-hmm. don't spend this much. And here's our 10-point checklist. <laughs> Using the checklist preliminarily, I think, is fine. In fact, it's good because no one knows what to do if they've never done it before. I'm not saying... You shouldn't do homework okay. and research. You should. But when you've identified a person that you've had a conversation with on the phone that you seem to like yep. and you get along with and the person you're hope trying to help would get along with, mm-hmm. then dispense with the checklist. Just have a conversation. It should be, you know, 
a social conversation, for lack of a better word. It may be more invasive than a normal social conversation, <laughs> but for everyone's benefit, there are certain things you need to know. Would you have the elder there, or would you say this is more about the adult caregivers? Usually not. If there's any sort of dementia involved, which there usually is. Which you say not because Alzheimer's and, and certain formal forms of dementia are so prevalent, but the statistic is that most of us will have some sort of Correct. dementia at some point. And the second conversation, maybe, or the second conversation should maybe just be with the elder alone. I certainly wouldn't have my child talking about me while I'm in the third room party. to a third party that I've never met. Third person, third party. I mean, it's disgusting. <laughs> yeah. That said, once whoever is doing the investigation thinks that it's a good match, mm -hmm. then if you want to move forward, then of course that person should meet the elder or the identified person that needs help, preferably alone. That's interesting. Why? And say more about that. Because most people are not going to say something uh, negative about their child let's, or mm. neighbor or whoever it is mm -hmm. in front of them. Right. So many, many times, uh, this has happened to me, where someone calls me and says, my mother is a mess and it, you know, she's not doing this and she's doing that and she's doing this. And then I go to meet her mother and her mother says, I wish my daughter would stop trying to control me. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I just had this conversation with a very close friend of mine who's in her 80s, but is still a professor and still working. Mm -hmm. And she said, most of my contemporaries have children who are trying to take over their lives. She said, if I can manage my career perfectly well and I live alone and I don't have any health problems that are significant, and have you ever noticed any memory problems? And I never have. Mm -hmm. She said, when do I know? Oh, that's good. If I need help, and I said, well, since we're close friends, I said, I'll tell you. Oh. <laughs> uh, but I'm sort of taking on more of a son role right. or a family role. You need a trusted confidant. Yeah, you, you, you need more help than you have. Mm -hmm. She might get mad, but she wouldn't act mad, and she'd think about it, and she would do something about it. Mm -hmm. But that's unusual. It, exactly. There's a fine line spectrum between children who are completely deferential to their adult parents, mm -hmm. which you know my opinion of, because I'm incapable of being deferential to anybody. <laughs> Me too. And, and then on the other end of the spectrum is children riding roughshod over their parents and not honoring where they are. I think that sweet middle ground is when you at least make space to have a conversation. Like in my parents' case, they were in the situation they were in because they had already spent 50 years not making, not just good decisions, but any decisions. Yeah, but to your point... When your mother first was here, remember you both came over here. So yeah, you're going, we're, t we're having a mind melt. So let okay. me set up where you're going here. Okay. So this played out this way because there was a geographic distance, but folks will hear me say, first I use Howard to get a walker recommendation. Mm -hmm. And then I use Howard to help me find the amazing rest home my mom is now in. And then when I brought my mother up to interview and go look at that rest home, could I twist her arm and make her go? For sure. But did that feel good? Not so much. Did I want it to be sort of a shared decision? Yes. And therefore, I manipulated her by bringing her to Howard's house. <laughs> well, I don't think you manipulated She was pretty straightforward when she was talking yeah. to me. Yeah. And she said, well, you know how Rachel is. Um, <laughs> she likes to manage everything, but the truth of the matter is, I'm not capable of it. Mm -hmm. So it was honest on all ends. And just describe that, because I, I popped into my head that I, I can't believe I'd forgotten to bring this up before. 
to me, that was the best case scenario. When you have a, a great connection, the right resource, in this case, Howard, the elder care consultant, you will find yourself sitting at his kitchen table with your elder, and he's bringing out the snacks, and you're shooting the shit. To this day, you two swap Christmas mm-hmm. cards and, and how are you doing cards. But just from your point of view, talk about me as your client and my mom as your elder client and how that all played out from your point of view. Well, because I like you <laughs> and because I and because I liked her, mm-hmm. it made it very easy. And because she put up no reason, I don't think I was suggesting anything unreasonable, but I also think by your preparing her or just her life experience, mm-hmm. and we had things in common like both being pianists, mm-hmm. it was an easy conversation. She didn't get defensive about anything I said. I don't think I said anything obnoxiously untoward. And again, the subject, as I recall, was the act of, of putting pen to paper, choosing to, to do the rest of them. Right? Correct. Yep. Correct. But I don't think it was painful for her. I don't think it was painful for you. And it certainly wasn't painful for me. <laughs> it was enjoyable. We loved it, it. It shouldn't be. If it's painful, something's wrong. Unless you have a complete nut job as a parent, which you could. Um, which was my father, like no joke. So that was the difference between them. Everything I did with him was forced because no matter what the outcome was, it would be a fight. I know people cringe when they hear how coarsely I talk about those decisions, but there was never gonna be any pleasing him, no matter what, money right. or no money. This solution, that solution, this facility, that facility. And I, I always describe my father, he's a very good man, a very good father. I have not missed him for a single day since he died because it, it, it was that level of caustic, negative, oppressive. I was throwing back the wine during that whole period because it was so stressful. It is stressful, but I. Th- Think that if you find the right combination, I mean, there are people who are just intractable. Mm-hmm. And there are kids who are just intractable, too, who, you know, decide for their own convenience, I want my parents to be in a facility. There's no right answer. There's no black and white solutions. But what do you recommend so that it's not warring relatives? My husband was infinitely patient with my situation and vice versa. We're very good in crisis mode. So Mm -hmm. when the shit goes down, we're there for each other. We're there for each other's families. It's the aftermath that we're like, oh my God, the impact on our family is enormous. Are there any tips or tricks or recommendations you would say for people about how to just get through that together without polarizing or one person riding roughshod over the whole process? I'd say if you're in therapy, that's you're better off the kids mm-hmm. couples therapy individual therapy both because if your whole relationship is based on talking about your sets of parents mm. um that's not a relationship anymore it's a support group that's a really good point uh, and that's not healthy for any two people mm. i'm not saying people shouldn't be in support groups i think it's very helpful for them to be but they should be in separate support groups right. talking about their own issues, not with their spouse. Because if they're with their spouse, then they may as well be home. And one makes assumptions about people that are not necessarily true. Here's an example. I've run many support groups. There was a woman, a doctor, who never missed a time. She talked about her husband, who was also a physician, um, who was in a nursing home. And I remember one meeting, she said, well, I'm going to have to make a decision after this meeting whether he has some kind of major infection 
do I treat it or don't I treat it? If I don't treat it, he'll die. So the next morning I saw her on the street and I said, what happened? And she said, well, I didn't have to make any decision because by the time I got there, he was dead. So I thought, well, okay, what a relief. And I foolishly said, I'm so sorry. I can only imagine what it must feel like to lose someone that you've loved for 60 years. And she looked at me and said, what makes you think I love them? <laughs> and I said, well, I just assumed that. She said, well, you made a very incorrect assumption. I couldn't stand them. Ooh. So I learned a lesson then, you know, just because something on the surface looks a certain way. Right. So to your point, that's one of the earliest not lessons, but wisdoms I gained with my parents' situation. They were in love once upon a time. Mm -hmm. They legitimately were happy to get married. But their life was tough overall. And by the end, my dad, even this is a revisionist history for me. At the end, I was like, ah, you're so verbally abusive. You're such a bad person. Now I'm like, you know what? My mom was 50-50. Like, her behaviors make you crazy. And so I understood after 50 years of dealing with that why he would scream at her all the time and my main message being that when my dad died and when each elder since then has died it, none of it has been tragedy they all live good long lives and in some circumstances they were literally to quote one of my favorite 80s movies better off dead mm-hmm. so when people erred on the side of like oh and so sorry, i'm like no no please don't say you're sorry this is a blessing <laughs> mm-hmm. this is a good thing so yeah not being assumptive with those moments Are you still going Oh, okay. Let's Follow my monthly podcast for free on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your irreverent radio. In between, you can find support, education, and hundreds of resources on my website, thisisgettingold.com. Just add some dashes. Sign up for my newsletter to receive my latest insights, anecdotes, audio, and ever-growing list of shit. Performing my theme music is my mom and my son. My production partner is Michelle Rado of Flying Pig Audio. And I am Irreverent Rachel, leaving you with some outtakes of my fellow irreverent. loud enough? Am I too loud? (laughs) We have to counter my muttering and your projecting. Well, I can can talk more softly. No, I think it's good because you'll be a little bit farther away. I'm going to bring this closer to me just so that I am not too quiet. Yeah, because I project too much. But in a good way. Well, yeah, Ethel Mermany. (laughs) Jewish Ethel (laughs) Mermany. I'm using that in the outtakes. This student was working on a laptop, and he said to me, that looks delicious. Oh, my goodness. What the heck did he hear? Somebody's walking by. Really? He's got, like, super powered ears. Yeah, he's got great ears. Hello. He's standing on a rocking chair. Yes. Expressing his opinion to the people behind the curtain. Hmm. I don't see anything. I think it was a ghost dude. He could have been a squirrel. Oh, a squirrel. Or a rabbit or... Anything that moved. And ah. He is a good watchdog, by the way. <laughs> Nobody is breaking into Howard's house. No. He couldn't drink the coffee when he wanted to or have a snack when he wanted to. Right? Uh, but here's a question. Would you want to be alive if you were at the mercy of that sort of schedule? No, that's my point. Like, that's not a good existence. No, I think yeah. death, death is preferable. Yeah, so what's our choice? How do we get the death instead? Well, that's why God made suicide.